Now, I want to jump right into the message today, uh, and I want to talk to you about something that I'm not sure that I have a life message yet, but I want to just tell you that since I began uh, speaking, really at, at, in a high school age, something that I've always felt was something that God's really laid heavily on my heart is to talk about passion. Now, one of the things I love about living in the Pacific Northwest is we in the Pacific Northwest are really passionate when it comes to our sports teams. I just love that in, in Portland, the Timbers Army is known as the most fanatical uh, fans in all of the MLS. I just love that the Seattle Seahawks playing in their stadium are known as the loudest environment in all of the NFL. It goes back and forth between the Chiefs fans and the Seahawks fans and who can set the Guinness Book of World Records for the loudest stadium. And then you drive down the road to Eugene to Hudson Stadium, and even though it has tens of thousands of seats less than the Midwest or Southern, the Southeastern Conference stadiums, it's still considered one of the most exciting places to play uh, and ho most hostile environments to play in. Research Stadium, after its recent uh, upgrade, is same way. Last night, watching that game on TV and the fans there, some of you who are there as well, going crazy for their beavers. I love that the Rose Garden in Portland is known as uh, when the Blazers are red hot and rolling. It's one of the best venues to actually see a sporting event. I've been fortunate enough to be at some of the most uh, wonderful moments in Pacific Northwest sports history. In fact, my family and I were at game six when Scottie Pippen, who was then playing for the Blazers, hit the game winner against the Utah Jazz and advanced us to the Western Conference Finals, and the Rose Garden was going wild. I was at the Civil War game between Oregon and Oregon State in 2009 when whoever won that game was going to go to the Rose Bowl, the Civil War for the Roses. I was there uh, watching Jeremiah Masoli on that final drive in the fourth quarter go twice on fourth down and make conversions, and the Ducks got to play in their first Rose Bowl since 95. I was in the stadium in Seattle in 2011 on the day that has now become known as the Beast Quake, the infamous moment when, as Marshawn Lynch ran the ball with pretty much all of the, at one point in the run, the New Orleans Saints on his back at some point, as he ran for 67 yards to win the game in the playoffs, and the fans went so crazy that the ground actually literally shook. They, they, it registered on the seismic uh, um, meters that an earthquake took place that to this day, you can look it up, is known as the Beast Quake, because Marshawn Lynch's nickname is Beast Mode, and his, the fans were so crazy, so wild, that it literally made the ground shake. I've never been in any place like that moment. Strangers hugging strangers, people jumping up and down together. It was wild. The Pacific Northwest is actually an extremely passionate place. Just think about your neighborhood where you live. In your neighborhood, you have uh, crazy sport fan neighbors and crazy political opinion neighbors and foodies and book club people and social justice warriors, craft beer and wine people. Um, you have better homes and gardens, perfect landscape family. Hopefully you're them and don't live next to them because that can be a challenge. 
We have the environmental uh, cause family. We've got the dog and cat rescue family. We've got backyard bird people. We've got the CrossFit family. If you live on McLean Street with my dad, you've got the crazy Christmas light neighbor guy. We've got hunting and fishing and outdoors and hiking and biking and paddleboarding and kayaking and camping families. And in the Pacific Northwest, we love to celebrate all of these passions. In fact, we like to drive our Subarus and put our stickers on the back that let everybody else know what we're passionate about. In the Pacific Northwest, we celebrate the diversity of our passions. We display our passions. That is as long as your passion isn't about Jesus. You see, if you are Buddhist or Hindu or Muslim or a naturalist or a spiritualist in the Pacific Northwest, that makes you cool. That makes you deep. That makes you interesting. That makes you learned. But just please don't bring that Jesus stuff into the conversation. And so here's what happens, friends, as a response to this, as a response to this way of thinking, we Christians in the Pacific Northwest tend to keep our passion in regards to Jesus to ourself. Because see, if we're honest, we all at least want to be liked or accepted by other people, don't we? We don't want to be seen as out there or crazy or weird. So we've decided that it's better to make our passion for Jesus personal and private than it is to allow others to see it. And this cultural shift away from Jesus has driven our passion for Jesus into private meeting space. So when we get into private, when we get it out of the public eye, then we can display our passion for Jesus. But once we leave, we're afraid. We don't want to be labeled as crazy or fanatical, or in 2023, the labels are even worse than that, aren't they? And we don't want to have those labels attached to us. Just think, for if I said crazy, fanatical Christian, we all have somebody that comes into our mind's eye that we think, well, I don't want to be like that. And so we are careful. But do you know what happens to our faith when we live our faith and push our passion down and only allow our passion to show in private? Our faith becomes stale. Our faith becomes stagnant. Our faith becomes tired. And, and we try to stay faithful. We try to stay excited about Jesus, but it becomes hard. It becomes tiresome because we have different areas of our life where we're trying to control the amount of passion that we let be seen. If we're not careful, what happens, friends, is we start to practice religion instead of genuinely pursuing out of passion Jesus Christ. We begin to go through the motions. We begin walking through the practices of our faith, the supposed to's of our faith, the spiritual disciplines of our faith. We hear truth, but we don't actually have life transformation happening, and so our passion becomes stale. Now, what might happen is you might go to a conference and get excited about Jesus and your passion bucket gets a little bit fuller and you're excited for a while, but eventually, because life happens, we come back to our baseline over and over again. Can any of you relate with this today? Okay, is this not, maybe I'm just preaching to myself, but I tell you this often. I prepare these messages with an audience of me, okay? And I hope that as I am speaking that you can relate to this as well. 
But you have to remember that this isn't the way that Jesus set it up. It's not the way that Jesus asked us uh, to do things. In fact, John chapter 7, 37, verse 37 through 38. I quote this a lot because I think it's an incredibly important thing for us to understand. This is the greatest day of the festival, greatest day of the feasts, and Jesus says this, on the last day of the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink, for the scripture declares, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. So what did Jesus say the byproduct of coming to Jesus and drinking would be? The byproduct of coming to Jesus and drinking would be that out of us there would be an outflow, an overflow, that we would become like a spring or a fountain or a river, and out of us would flow the living water that Jesus is depositing into our life would flow out of us into a dry, weary, parched, thirsty world. But see, here's what I believe is happening in many of our lives. I believe many of us have become less like a river and more like a reservoir. And what I mean by that is we've put up a dam on the output so that we can control the flow out and as we control the flow out, we also, because we don't want to be fanatical, we want to also try to see if we can keep the water level at a nice, safe, and careful level. So, you're wondering, why is this thing sitting on the stage? I want to do an object lesson with you throughout today's message. And I want to actually demonstrate for you these principles. I want to help you see something spiritually that I see happening in our lives, and I want to help us as we take our next step in our faith with Jesus. And so, as I said, what begins to take place for us is because we become more like a reservoir, is Jesus is, as he said he would do, Jesus is going to pour water into our life. Now, since I'm using a sump, it has to pressurize first, so there we go. So, Jesus begins to pour water into our life, and as Jesus pours himself into our life, what we then are called to do is to bear fruit, right? And so, in different ways, we begin to output. So, Jesus is pouring into us, and we are outputting into the world. We're outputting all kinds of different fruit, but let's just say things like we're worshiping, we're fellowshipping, we're discipling, right? We're, we're sharing our faith with other people, we're serving in the church, and so what we try to do here is, I just want to have just enough output that I keep this water level here right in the safe zone, because I don't want to be fanatical, I don't want people to see me and think I'm one of those Christians, so if I can get my output just right, I can keep my water level at a nice, safe and so, we begin living our Christian life. But see, one of the things we fail to realize is that the output and the input are actually connected to each other. And so, one of the things that begins to happen in our spiritual life is the more we choke down the output, the less and less we are receiving from the source. And so, we go through life and we try to maintain our nice, safe water level. But do you remember that God actually is giving us inflow of His Spirit 
of his power, of his help, for the purpose of outflow. You are blessed to be a blessing. He's pouring himself into your life so that through you, the world would be blessed. And so here's what I want to do today. And I'll make my way back over here a few times. We'll highlight a few different things. Some of you may need to use the restroom today, and I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry, but we need it, okay? I want to help you reignite your passion today. I want to help you reignite your passion for the Lord. And so I just love this. Uh, I love that the Bible contains things like this. In Mark 12, 28 through 31, we have one of these scriptures that I'm just so glad that we have. A man came up to Jesus and asked a question that I'm so glad has been asked on our behalf. A man came and said to Jesus, of all the commandments, what's the most important? Isn't that great that we have that question in Scripture, and we have Jesus' answer to that question. Jesus replies, the most important command is this. So don't you think we should listen to what he has to say? Because of all of Scripture, he's saying here's the most important thing. He says, listen, O Israel, the Lord your God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Jesus says that loving God passionately is the most important number one thing for our life. That nothing else matters more than having a passionate relationship with God. God doesn't want us, friends, to live a half-hearted life with our faith. He wants us to go all in to be passionate in our pursuit of God. In fact, this theme you'll find all throughout Scripture. The Bible tells us that we are to seek God passionately. We're to love God passionately. The Bible says we're to serve and obey God passionately. We're to trust God passionately. And I just love how Paul does this in Colossians. Just in case I missed one, Colossians 3.23 says it like this. Whatever you do, do it with all of your heart as unto the Lord and not unto men. What's included in whatever you do? A lot. Everything. He's literally telling us whatever you do, do it unto God with passion. Be passionate in your life. Romans 12, 11, he says it like this, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Look at that word keep with me for a second. What does that word keep imply to us? It implies that it's not automatic. It implies that your spiritual fervor doesn't just stay on its own. You've got to keep it. It's a discipline. It's something you and I have to maintain. It's not just magically going to happen on its own. It's something you and I have to choose to do. Now, maybe you're like me. And you get distracted by a lot of other things. That there's a lot of things that are competing for your passion. A lot of things that are competing for your zeal. And you're trying as hard as you can to keep all the fires going. But friends, the reality is you can't do it all. And so what ends up happening in our earthly relationships? Because we can see this in our relationships with each other just as we see it in our relationship with God. In our relationships in our marriage... Does passion happen on its own? Does passion just happen naturally all the time 
on its own. Maybe for a little while. Maybe during that honeymoon phase, we're passionate and it's easy and we don't have to think about it or do much. But friends, if you want to maintain passion in your relationships, then there's going to be a process that you have to commit yourself to. You're going to have to take steps and actions that lead you to passionate places. You're going to have to feed the part of yourself that needs to be fed and in your spouse that needs to be fed for you to keep passion alive. How many times have you heard something like this? When we were dating, you did all of these romantic things. You were a better listener. You took showers. You brought presents. You listened when I talked. But now, you just show up and expect me to just show up. Does that sound familiar? We have to be intentional about pursuing passion in our relationships. Guys, I'm going to give you some free marriage advice really quick. If you would occasionally chase after your wife, sometimes you might just catch her. You can process that later. If you want to keep passion in your relationship, you have to work at it. You have to keep chasing. You have to keep pursuing. You have to keep feeding that part of yourself that you need to feed. Because we face all kinds of circumstances in our life that conspire to shrink away and rob us of our passion. See, here we are trying to maintain a nice, safe water level. We're trying to maintain our passion. We've got input, we've got output, and we're trying to keep it regulated. But friends, there's something that you might not be aware of. On the side of this thing over here, there's another spout, and it's the spout called life. And this spout called life, the problem with it is, you're all going to face hurt. You're all going to face pain. You're all going to face suffering. You're all going to hear from your job that they're downsizing. You're all going to have family members disappoint you. And so if we're regulating our input and regulating our output, one of the things you have no control of, friends, is the other spout that's called life. It happens. And then what happens is, as life begins draining the passion out of us more and more and more, eventually we come to a place where we just don't have anything to output anymore. Now we're just trying to survive. Now we're just trying to make it through another day. Now we're just looking for any reason that we can, right? We're just trying to hold on. And friends... I think there's a lot of us, if we're honest right now, that are living in this spot right here. That life is draining your bucket, and because life is draining your bucket, you're running out of your ability to continue pouring out. And so, we just keep going. We just keep going through life. So what's going to be the solution? What are we going to do about this, friends? How can we live life to the full? How can we continue to be passionate about God when there's some things in this world that we just have no control over? Well, I want to give you a little bit of help today, and this is really your only fill in the blank. How do we live this Christian life 
and be in a passionate relationship with Jesus even when all of this other stuff is happening. And here's the number one thing I think we're missing is this. We have to remember how passionate God is about you. You have to remember how passionate God is about you. See, friends, you know it, but you forget it. Did you know, friends, that God is totally and completely in love with you? See, I think one of the reasons that we fail to truly be passionate about God is we so easily forget because of life and everything else just how much God loves us, just how much God desires us, just what cost Jesus has paid for a relationship with us. Well, Exodus 31.14 says it like this, You must worship only the Lord, for He is a God who is passionate about his relationship with you. Did you hear that? What is the reason that we worship the Lord? He is a God who is passionate about his relationship with you. Did you know that? Friends, did you know he's passionate about you? He's not just looking at you and saying, oh, that's Janet. Oh, that's Tim. Oh, that's Brenda. You know, they're just one of my creations. No, he's passionate about each and every one of us. In fact, he's so passionate that he was literally willing to sacrifice his own life to suffer and die so that he could have a relationship with you. Jesus stretched out his hands and said, this is how much, this is how much I love you. This is how passionate I am about you. Jesus said, I would rather come down out of heaven and die on a cross than live life in eternity without you. Psalm 107.33 says this, Whoever is wise will remember these things and will think about the deep love of the Lord. See, it's foolish to not think about how much God loves you. In the face of life, in the face of difficulty, friends, we must be reminded of just how much God loves us. 1 John 4.9, God showed us how much He loved us by sending His only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love. It's not that we love God but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sin. Do you know, friends, I want to take it another step. Did you know that living an impassionate life for God is actually a sin? Revelation chapter 3. We have this warning where He says, because you're not cold and because you're not hot, you're just lukewarm warm. You're just going through the motions. You're just lukewarm. You've forgotten your first love, and you're just now going through your life. Your relationship with God has become just one part of the many parts of your life. I've got my social life, my career life, my sex life, my family life, and over here, I've got my faith life. But friends, God never designed it to work that way. It isn't that He's just an add-on to your life. It's not that He's just part of our life. Life. God says, I love you this much. 
I want you to experience my love. I want you to live a passionate life. I want you to live a joy-filled, overflowing life. And I'm just going to be honest with you guys. What I see happening more and more is because of life, because of our access to instant gratification in the form of pocket entertainment, is more and more we are pushing off things that are good and saying, when I, maybe later. I mean, this Netflix series I'm watching is so good right now that I, Bible reading will happen. I know I need it. I know I should spend some time with the Lord, but you don't understand how good this series is. We all are a little uncomfortable right now. Because friends, the reality is we are constantly chasing that next thing instead of being uh, reminded today that there are some things, friends, that we need to be consciously feeding ourselves with that will do so much better good for you than just simply the entertainment of the moment. Jesus says, I'd rather you be hot or cold. C.S. Lewis put it like this, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, but if it's true, it's of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. It can't be just moderately important. You see, if it's just part of our life, if it's just one of the things in our life, if it's just, you know, yeah, it's, it's part, I, I mean, yeah, it's important to me, but it, it ranks in the list of things in my life about equal with everything else, friends. We're doing it wrong. Are you feeling lukewarm today? You feel like, man, I'm looking at this fountain and I'm thinking life is draining me. Like, I don't have much in the bucket. I'm just trying to get by. I'm just trying to survive. I'm just trying to make it one more day. That's all I can do right now. Well, the friends, I have something I want to encourage you with. That actually, one of the issues that you're facing is that remember, in an attempt to regulate the water level, the issue is that we've regulated the input. But Jesus put no such regulation on the input. See, Jesus isn't saying to you and I today, nope, you can only have a tiny bit. You can just have enough to get you by. I, I just, need, just need you to have just enough. That's not Jesus at all, friends. In fact, Jesus is wanting and Jesus is willing to heavily increase the amount that is pouring into your life. Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come. Jesus invites us. He says, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. See, Jesus' desire for our life is not that we would just get by. It's not that we would just have enough. Is that we would be overwhelmed by his love, by his presence, by his 
power. And can you see what's beginning to happen? As we allow Jesus to do what He wants to do, He wants to pour into our lives. It's us, friends, that put a limit on what Jesus is pouring in, not Him. He's willing to give it all. He's willing to give every single bit of Himself to us. So is that what you want? Because I'll tell you, friends, when I look out at our country, when I look out at our city, when I look out at our church, I see a bunch of people who there's more available to. More than what you've experienced so far. More than what you believe is even possible. More, as the Bible says, than you could ask for or even imagine. See, I believe what Jesus wants to do here in this place today is increase our thirst. Increase our desire. Because notice, the life tap is still open. What I'm not trying to tell you today, friends, is that if you drink more of Jesus, you won't have any problems in your life. I know an awful lot of people who are passionate about Jesus and still have life. Anyone else? So life is still going to happen, and the areas of our life that we're outputting, that we're serving, the fruit that we're bearing is still going to happen. But do you see what's about to happen? Can anyone see what's about to happen? See, Jesus isn't looking for you to just output. He's looking to overflow you. He's looking to overwhelm you. He's looking through you to pour a huge amount of water, of life, into the world in which we live. And friends, I'm telling you today, this is available for you. I believe with all my heart that this is available to you right now. That if we would come to the source today, and we would say to Jesus, Jesus, I'm thirsty. And Lord, I recognize that there's areas of my life where I'm holding you back. I'm keeping you at arm's distance from what you desire to do in my life. But Lord, today, I want to remove any dam that I've put up on what you're wanting to do in my life. That I believe that God would like to fill you to overflowing. I believe that today, in this place, that this is the state that God would like us to live our life in. Not out of the safe zone any longer, but truly living in a place where He is pouring Himself into our life, and we then, in turn, get to just allow Him to overwhelm and overflow us. You notice, a lot more water is getting into the world, friends. Would you look around with me at the world and say that a lot more living water needs to be getting into the world? Does anyone see a lack in love or joy or peace or patience or kindness or goodness or gentleness or faithfulness or self-control in our culture and in the world that surrounds us? What's the antidote to it, friends? The antidote to it is through us, as Jesus pours himself out, we would overflow. And as we overflow, his living water would get to the places that it's so desperately needed. Band, I'm going to invite you to come back up.
So here's what I want to do with you today, friends. Is I want to remind you that there's more available. You can have more. There's more available. Do you hear me? You can have more. There's no limit on how much God will pour into your life. There's no cap. God doesn't say, you know what? You can have just enough to get by. He says, no, come. If you're thirsty, you can come. So, I think we need to examine our hearts. I think we need to be honest with ourselves today. Is our faith just part of our life? Is it just one addition in our life? Or are we coming to Jesus the source and saying, Lord, whatever you would have for me, however much you'd like to pour out, as much as you'd like to give, God, I want to be a conduit that sees your living water flowing into this world. 